0: Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast where we share stories, insights and strategies that go beyond some of the numbers we encounter in our work life. I'm Susanne Echidon. I work with organisations who put people first. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't people who bring their full selves to work, and people who won't. And together with my guests, we place a lens on and focus in on the people side of work life. Because we know that it is people who do the work, not numbers. And if we are treated well, we will perform well, and might even generate better numbers.
1: today I am delighted to be joined by Lisa Milner. Lisa, you're so welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Thank you so much, Susan. Yeah, it's a real um, pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invite. You're welcome. And of course, it was Andy Lonnen that connected us and Andy's been a previous guest on this podcast. And I think you used to work with Andy in a previous life.
2: I did indeed. I've known Andy for many years. Yes. And I loved listening to the podcast and yeah, her enthusiasm is just so infectious.
1: Isn't it? That is the word infectious. <laughs> so we spoke earlier this summer, Lisa, and at the time you were heading to Scotland, to the Isle of Arran, to immerse yourself in herbal medicine Tell me more. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how life unfolds,
2: hey? So I I guess herbal medicine, I've had an interest in that for for a good while. And the opportunity to explore that further has, has never really arisen. And actually, I was listening to a podcast and there was a lady there talking And she was talking about something completely different, but she mentioned that she was going to be going to the Isle of Arran for two months on a herbal medicine course. And I just went, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. And and I Googled it. And sure enough, there aren't many. (laughs) It was like a herbal apprenticeship. There aren't many of those on the Isle of Arran. And so I found it. And I didn't get on the apprenticeship straight away, but I persisted, which is something I've done in life. I have found on several occasions when I've persisted and really wanted to do something, I've made it happen, even if it's been last minute. And this was quite last minute. I joined the programme a couple of weeks before it was starting. And uh, what a wonderful experience. The Isle of Arran itself is beautiful. If you've never been, I'd really encourage you to, to visit. Full of Just beautiful, wonderful flora and fauna and the course itself. I feel very grateful that I was able to immerse myself for two whole months in the world of plants and yeah, it it was an incredible experience.
1: I don't know a whole lot about plants, and I'm only learning a little bit more now, and I've got a bit of a herb garden and stuff. But was there something that surprised you or really stood out, Lisa, in the plant life or world?
2: Oh, whoa, where would I start with that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the way that we were invited to learn was, was wonderful. It was very, very experiential. And that's really where my life has taken me, I think. In education, you're learning kind of through the head. Yeah? And this was experiential. And Keith, who was a tutor, would invite us to meet these plants, you know, as other beings as well. And and even if you knew its Latin name or its, its common name, to just let all of that go. And just imagine that you're meeting this being for the first time and to be really present, to be with this plant. And and in this way, we would do, so for example, we'd also do, we did quite a lot of tea tasting and we would not know what the herb was that we were tasting. And we would start off and we would say herb in the room, which meant, okay, everyone just go into silence and really be with with this, this tea. And to just really look at it, to, to smell it, and to taste it, but then also to really feel its effects on you. Whoa, I mean, that blew me away, time after time, to feel physically, you know, you could feel whether the medicinal qualities, the emotional effects, whoa, yeah, that, that really blew me away. A real sensory experience with plants. Really sensory, really sensory. And not just the typical smell and taste, but how it made you feel.
1: Mm.
2: Really powerful,
1: Mm. really
2: powerful. And it was interesting. So there was four of us on this course, and all of us would immerse yourself in the experience, then make notes and then share And often there was a lot of commonality in terms of maybe the medicinal qualities that we'd pick up. And like sage, we had some sage, and you could just feel in your mouth and throat and ears this healing effect. And and that's one of its many properties that it's used for. If you've got infections or things like that, really helpful. So, as well as there'd be some commonality, then also what I noticed, there was in each individually felt something. And it just showed that how one size doesn't fit all. And if you were to either be working with, say, a patient or just for yourself, sometimes it's choosing and finding what works for that
1: person. The unique experience, the unique perspective, the unique suffering, whatever it might be.
2: Exactly that. Exactly that. Because we are all unique in terms of our the experiences that we've had in experiences we've had in life that's brought us to that point yeah
1: yeah on the Isle of Arran or while you were speaking there it brought me to the Isle of Ireland where I've just returned from and the sea does that for me that sensory experience of how it makes me feel as well as how I feel Physically in it. There's so much going on. The smell of it, the taste of it when you gulp some seawater. And yes, yes. just looking at it like it it changes how I feel about everything.
2: Yeah. And that's a beautiful example. And you know, we were obviously it's an island. So and we were very close to the coast. So even though it was what time of year did I go? Was it May and June? We were swimming in the sea and it was cold, but I I got even more into the cold water swimming or bathing. I don't know if I did a lot of swimming, but bathing because it was like go in, count to 10, immerse myself up to, you know, and stay as long as I could. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You can really do that with breathing, too, though, can't you? If you're if you're not panicked, if you can slowly adjust yourself actually the water is never really that cold no no yeah you're in the
2: territory of of, of Wim Hof I don't know if you've come across him yes that's right yeah yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. so being immersed in the sea or plant life or whatever (laughs) is a new adventure for you probably Lisa and at work firstly you started out immersed in numbers (laughs) and (laughs) finance So do you want to take us back a little bit?
2: (laughs) Oh, my word. I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. So, yeah, I've I've always loved numbers and I still do. Yeah. And I loved maths at school. And I had this notion that, oh, well, in terms of a career, if I like maths then I'll become an accountant. That that was my logic at the time. And and so I trained as an accountant. Yeah, I did a degree in management sciences at UMIS. I didn't specialise in accountancy, just in case I didn't like it. I trained with KPMG many moons ago as a chartered accountant and was with them for four years. I was based up up in the north in Yorkshire, where, where I live. I worked primarily with financial services. And so I actually, when I left there, I went to Skipton Building Society which was on my doorstep. And I was with the Skipton for nearly 15 years. The Skipton at the time, the Skipton building site at the time, was changing and, and it became acquisitive. And very interestingly, since then, um, and it acquired maybe up to 16 subsidiaries, they've all gone, it's all reversed now. But I was there at the time when it was expanding as a group and I would go into some of the subsidiary companies and do the due diligence work. And then actually, latterly, went in as finance director. And it was there that I met Andy. I oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Andy joined me at the last company that I worked for there. And, and yeah, and then, you know, I got to 40. So I don't know there's something about the age of 40. But I'd started um, doing a little bit of work in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. I was also doing some mentoring. So the Skipton were introducing a mentoring program and, and training senior people to mentor other staff. And I really enjoyed that. I really loved, loved that. And it felt very meaningful and purposeful. And I did get to a stage when I, I you know, was finance director of one of the subsidiary companies. And, and I enjoyed the work and I loved the people I worked with. But something was missing. And I'd, in terms of a success, kind of inverted commas, I'd well paid, got the car. Uh, but I, there was, it just, hmm. And I, oh, and also what happened at that time, my ex husband and I, we'd bought a chalet in France. <laughs> so, and actually, I thought the time that when buying it, I would probably have to stay working for a lot longer to continue to pay for it. But anyway, I got to this stage where I wanted to do something different and I took the plunge. And decided to set up on my own. And so a company I set up is called Shaping Clarity. And interestingly, the name of the company came from working with an amazing coach. that I was very influenced by an amazing lady called Heather Church. And, you know, look Heather up. What an amazing, amazing lady she is. And so I remember we came up with Shaping Clarity, sat in a local hotel, I think with, with a gin and tonic. <laughs> and that's how the name of the company came up, you know. And he, interestingly, even as my work has evolved... Shaping Clarity still resonates and still to some extent fits with where I'm at now. So I set up Shaping Clarity and I set that up with an intention of doing more coaching and mentoring type work. But also I found myself doing consultancy, financial consultancy and things, which yeah, I I loved and actually also (laughs) paid the bills as well. At the same time, we had the chalet, and David and I decided that we would run this chalet as a chalet hosts. And we had a trial with some friends. They came to stay for a week and we looked after them. And yeah, we loved it. They loved it. And I set up as a ski shelly business in the Espaskili.
1: Wow. <laughs> so you so you looked after people as they came and went skiing on holidays?
2: I did. And you know what? For nearly five months of the year, for six days each week, I would cook a four-course dinner for up to. 12 14 people six nights a week one one day off and wow. yeah and I did that for three seasons David and I did that for three seasons and were so you an accomplished cook before that no but I I, I just love cooking and, and our family in our family my mom's a good cook my sister my brother we just love cooking and I really like to eat healthily and and now since going to the Isle of Aram which was vegan I'm a more plant-based, I've not eaten meat for a long time, but I'm eating less dairy and I don't eat eggs now and things as well. So, but on the cooking side, always really enjoyed cooking and like cooking healthy food. So running a chalet, you have to be so organized. and, And that is one of my skills. I'm a fairly organized person yeah if you want anything organizing I'm, I'm your woman and you do you just have to know when you're shopping and I was doing the same meals each week which helps yeah
1: oh, yeah okay but yeah. also
2: you don't want to be in the kitchen too much because you've got some skiing to do Gonna be outdoors enjoy it? in the mountains did you enjoy that do you know I did I enjoyed it very much I really enjoyed we had some amazing guests we made some really good friends that are still in touch with now Um, I love being in the mountains. I love the outdoors, Susan. And there was something as well about changing career of not being tied to a computer and being indoors. I've loved the outdoors. Why I ended up in an office environment, I'm not sure, but I've slowly extricated myself. So I did enjoy it. But then after three seasons, it's also really quite hard work. And I felt after three seasons, I'd been there, done that, got the t-shirt, as it were. Yeah. And also, of course, when you're doing that for five months of the year, Trying to run another business, building up clients for the other seven months—it's impossible. You're off the radar, and you can't physically. It, because I, I was running the company, taking bookings, you know, sorting people out in terms of. And we did airport transfers, and in fact, I look back now. Who oh, I? Make myself tired. thinking about <laughs> yeah, a lot of energy, a lot of energy, but
1: yeah. And so you, I mean, you do have a lot of energy. I can see you now you're even doing yoga posture, I think, as we as we speak. <laughs> and that's something else, isn't it, Lisa, in your portfolio? Your portfolio, portfolio career. This is this
2: is what I have now, apparently. So yes. So whilst I was actually in France to keep me kind of sane, I joined a yoga class. A lovely local lady would come and help me couple of nights a week and one night a week I would go to a yoga class and there I met a really wonderful yoga teacher um, called Charlotte and Charlotte's influence was was pretty big because after the the three years I I really I I became more interested and wanted to find out more and I was really interested in training as a yoga teacher and not because I had any visions of teaching yoga and I think a lot this happens for a lot of people but I just wanted to find out more for myself and immerse myself more in in the yoga practices and and teachings, because I began to realise it's more than the yoga postures, you know, which is what took me to yoga in the first place, and having a supple, strong body. There's a lot more to it. So when we finished doing the shali Seasons, I was then able to commit myself to a a three-and-a-half-year training programme with the British Wheel of Yoga, with a lovely teacher called Sarah Beck, and I would travel once a month for three and a bit years for a full day, of the yoga teacher training and as i got to about year two nearly my final year and there's so many different avenues that you can go with, with with yoga it's a bit like being in a sweetie shop but one thing that was blowing me away was the therapeutic benefits so i started teaching by this point as well you have to teach in order to get your qualification but also i love teaching this is when i i found again my love of teaching i love to share with others really love to share And I was getting blown away by the therapeutic impacts that people were were reporting to me, Uh, even from just little things like an older lady being able to carry her shopping bags more easily to people sleeping better and just having more energy, even just coming to a class once a week for an hour and a half. So I was drawn into yoga therapy and my yoga teacher trainer, Sarah, said, you might want to talk to a lady called Kathy May Karelse, a South African lady based in Surrey. And I rang Kath, who was doing a, starting up a new yoga therapy training. And that was it. I just knew that that's what I then wanted to do next in terms of training. And there was a little bit of overlap. So I trained as a yoga therapist.
1: What's the difference between yoga, like that most of us would know, and yoga therapy? Okay. What?
2: The yoga therapy course I did was this mixture of yoga, mindfulness, and Ayurveda. Ah. Okay, so as you can see from that, suddenly you're bringing in a wider and in a way, in a way, what is the difference? I think the training I did was to enable me to meet one on one with people and to go to delve more deeply into because you know in a yoga class, you you I mean people filled in a form and got information on their health details, but on in a one to one you can dive deeper. And what I've come to know, Susan, is that anything that's manifesting itself physically, I would say 98% of the time, maybe even more, is it's actually something that's manifesting from an emotional issue. And if we don't deal with the emotional stuff, that will manifest as a physical illness in some way and, and mentally also. Yeah, so it's this mental emotional. That's a
1: huge number. 98% of the time. Oh, yeah. Obviously, if we break something, that's different. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I've but, got a pain in my shoulder, for example. Yeah. Right? Coming from yeah. something.
2: Mm, yeah. And and
1: and I think also that you know we're working with energies here
2: even scientists you know because some people say oh yoga it's all a bit woo but at the end of the day science shows if you're into the science and it's obviously very helpful but it does it's also very limiting it can be very limiting then everything is energy and so is the in this human form that we have to take care of there's energies and, and if those energies aren't flowing freely and they get blocked, and what happens? And this took me on to something called TRE as well. So I went on from yoga therapy to training as a mindfulness teacher, and then doing TRE, which is trauma release exercise. So I've shifted into what I call somatic healing or somatic therapy, or, or a, just a different way of actually looking at how we are as human beings, and how does illness manifest? Because there are a lot of things that, that doctors, the medical profession can't explain that actually, though, they will come back to stress. And it's stress. And what does stress do? It creates contraction in the body.
1: And it's such a catch-all. I mean, stress isn't actually anything. If you say you're stressed, what do you mean?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you, and, and, and that stress can be anything from, you know, an email to full-on trauma so there's a whole spectrum And, and as a human being we all experience stress trauma whatever you want to call it suffering that is just part of being human and and I don't believe we're equipped very well at all to deal with difficulties in life we distract ourselves I can put my hand up you know keeping myself busy so we can keep ourselves very busy at work we just put everything into that until at some point our body will say, I can't do this anymore. Hence burnout, exhaustion. And it's a body's way of saying you have to stop now. You have to stop and you have to listen and you have to take care of yourself and you have to look at what the real issues are here. Because until you address those, the, the suffering or the difficulties, the trauma that you've had in your life and possibly and more often going to childhood so the first seven years of our lives are very very informative and our parents weren't given the skills to to deal with the issues of life so a lot of people feel fear they can lack of self-esteem feeling of unloved you know they're often the root causes
1: of things that
2: then manifest later in life
1: and they're they abound in workplaces. Because, like you said, we're all immerse ourselves in the busyness of work. Yeah. And work will fill as much time as we want to give it. I mean, there's no question about that because it never ends. Yet yeah. there's people in workplaces that are suffering and struggling and immersing themselves in work as a way. They think it's the only way. Yeah, yes.
2: Yeah, because to be honest, there doesn't appear to be many other ways. Now, what is happening, what is changing is people are recognizing mental health. And, and we know now, we see that more in, in the workplace. And mindfulness has become a, a buzzword. And you know, for me, certainly, mindfulness, the practices there and the teachings and the learning really have helped me on my own journey. of of healing and understanding better how we work as a human being and what is helpful and what isn't, yeah? So I think in the workplace, there is a bit more of this waking up to being more open. Mental health generally is being talked about more and a recognition. And and boy, do we need it more than, than at any time now because with the impact of covid there's a big fall out there and, and unfortunately people aren't are still not able to get the care they need. Our medical profession still, the resources heavily go into the physical ailments. So So we're putting the money into dealing with the, the symptoms and we're still not putting enough money and resources and time and effort into what is causing people to have IBS, MS, ME, breakdowns
1: back pain.
2: back pain back pain yeah yeah and any kind of physical pain and TRE um is a beautiful practice so this is one of the many practices that there are out there this one might seem a little bit off the scale because you you invite and you learn how to invoke a natural tremoring in the body. Now, of course, people think if you're shaking or trembling, whoa, that's a bit weird. And it is weird, but it's wonderful because it's so releasing. I say to people, this is this when I'm taking them through the practice, it's weird, but it's wonderful. Just, <laughs> just go with it. Just have an open mind and an open heart and just be curious and be playful. You know, sometimes as well, we can take all of this stuff very seriously. Humor is so important in life, and I think sometimes I take life too seriously. But to bring some a bit of joy and curiosity, and playfulness, and childlikeness, we lose that. We lose that as we get older, I think, and, and it takes us a while to find it. Like,
1: Yeah, well, we've got this illusion or delusion that we need to be serious and that there is no place for humor in serious conversations, which I completely don't abide by at all and probably (laughs) frowned upon often throughout my life. But it doesn't matter because humor is so important to me that, you know, I usually convert (laughs) other people with me. But the playfulness is so important as well. And I think the shaking or the tremoring from TRE, the interesting thing about it is we tremor anyway. I mean, if you're lifting weights and you're struggling, there's a tremor. Or if you run fast, you will shake. So it's a natural body way of dealing with something as well.
2: Okay. And you've given examples there of like when we've done some physical practice and actually the way that TRE works... We put the muscles under some physical stress, as it were, to initiate the shaking. But interestingly, people will shake if they've been in, say, an accident. Yeah, people shake. Apparently, women shake giving birth. So that's common. I had a good friend who told me about shaking. She did the practice with me and went, oh, my word, Lisa, I remember shaking like this after an operation. Yeah. So and you see it in animals. You see it in animals. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. I know about the animals and that, that is really interesting. So we, we evolved knowing how to shake and we still yes. do it naturally sometimes, but we yes. don't know how to do it. Like, no. we, you know, well,
2: it's like the, the body knows. So the yeah. body knows. And then when it does it, because it's naturally, it's down-regulating the nervous system. So when, when we're stressed, we're in the fight and flight. So in the autonomic nervous system, the ANS, we've activated the sympathetic nervous system, yeah. So often people know about all of that. So how do we downregulate the nervous system? How do we activate the, the um, parasympathetic nervous system that will help bring us back kind of into balance? So the body will do it, The body, if we let it, the body will do it. But of course, if your body starts to shake, we think that's weird. You know, and you think, oh, my God, maybe I'm having a fit or there's something wrong with me. Yeah, yeah, it's not. And, I said, and it's it's just incredible that, again, it's another life skill, a natural thing the body wants to do. Why aren't we taught it in early years, along with meditation and, and ways to take care of ourselves by moving the body in certain ways and learning to understand the mind and how it works, which is what meditation for me started off by being. You, you just learn what the mind is up to and therefore how to really work with it to best effect you know so, a friend. yeah oh absolutely absolutely yeah because it's a powerful thing it's hugely powerful but it can also be hugely disruptive and we do have a negativity bias science again has proven this because it's linked to survival <laughs> so it, it, it kind of tends to and oh boy you know sometimes now I don't my mind is so much more quieter than it used to be But I remember periods of time, especially going through the menopause as well, with the hormonal changes, mind that would just constant chatter, chatter, negative, 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 you know. And if you can't, if you're not aware of that, you just, it takes over almost and you get swept up in it. And and then, of course, the negative thoughts create all difficult emotions and creates, again, contraction in the body. So the TRE practice is about starting to let these contractions release and as that happens as we create space and the body relaxes and we feel safe safety is really important especially for people who have had experienced trauma what happens is emotions and this stuff that we've been suppressing maybe from childhood or conversation we had two weeks ago the things we've been suppressing bubble up and start to come up and out because because they need to whilst they're held in the system and kind of trapped, we're contracted and the contraction means energies aren't flowing things aren't functioning the body can't function in, in a healthy way and therefore it gets disease yeah and it gets ill so so then the key thing in life how to deal with difficult emotions yeah
1: yeah yeah, there's so much in there. And I suppose I think, you know, we have everything we need in ourselves to help ourselves, almost. You know, there's that feeling that that's what you're saying. We've, we've caused it somehow <laughs> to ourselves as well. And, and then we carry it around unknown to ourselves. And yeah. unless we become aware, how do we cope? And then how do we become aware? And there's this cycle that is like frightening,
2: yeah, and it, and it can feel frightening and it can feel overwhelming Susan and, and we don't feel safe and it's very stressful but you what you said there you hit the nail on the head because we have to be aware without awareness we we go through this life on autopilot getting caught up in the dramas and and we can't see and so that's where the mindfulness training is again a key skill in life why as children above all else that awareness of how we operate as a human being and awareness of our of our mind and the thoughts and just awareness of what happens in in the body and awareness of all that's around us you know part of going to Aaron was to immerse myself more because I felt like I've, I've got to the age of 55 and yet And I've lived in the countryside all my life. And yet, wow, what I saw and experienced and felt, Aaron, you know, you have to have a greater awareness and openness and make the time and be open and have curiosity. And the wonders of nature, they are are mind-blowing. The wonders of life, of this body, yeah, of just this life. But if we're like just... We're distracted. We're sat behind a computer. We're on a device. We're watching the telly. We're numbing out with alcohol, drugs. What? We, oh, yeah. So, but just
1: taking a step back there, awareness is key. So, and this sounds like a crazy question. I think I'm, I'm like going around in my head, going, how do I ask this question? But how do I know I'm not aware? <laughs> or how do I know I'm aware? How do I know? What a great, what a great question. And you know, we have to really keep
2: asking these questions because once you get into awareness as well, and then you ask, well, what is what is aware that I'm aware? Whoa, there we go. Getting... <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how do we know when we're aware? So awareness probably starts. The first stage is just literally paying attention. Yeah. Paying attention. So actually, you know. And to what? Say, paying to attention. What exactly? To, it's paying attention to whatever you're doing. So I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of an example. So like now, I'm paying attention to you, Susan. I'm focused on this conversation. And I'm not thinking about other things. It's just, we're just here in this conversation. Or if I'm with a tea, you know, with tea tasting. I'm really paying attention to the taste and and the mindfulness training invites you to to start to train your attention. And a a prime example of maybe knowing when you're not aware, okay, is driving. (laughs) But don't ever admit this to the traffic police. (laughs) How how many people, I'm sure anybody listening to this, this podcast will remember a time when they've got from A to B but they don't remember driving at all. And they've maybe sorted out the shopping, what they're going to cook for tea, what, you know, anything and everything, but they haven't really noticed where they've driven through. You have a sense clearly of the traffic around you, but actually we're not paying a 100% attention. So we can actually get somewhere and you think, I don't really remember driving here. Then you know that you've not been aware.
1: Mm. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so does that...
1: Oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. And so then, if I'm in a meeting at work, am I always paying attention? Is that the thing? Am I paying attention to what's happening in that room? Or am I thinking about the million things that are on my desk that I haven't got done because this person is rabbiting on or that person is rabbiting on? And it's, it's that as well, I think, isn't there? There's an awareness of maybe work could be done more efficiently or less stressfully if people paid attention to what was in front of them.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And that's a really wonderful example, because what you said there was, You can be in a meeting or you can be anywhere. And if your mind is off on all the one million things, so what the mind will do if we let it. okay? and this is where the awareness comes in, because if we could be aware of what the mind's up to, bingo, (laughs) we start to take back a little bit of control. So the mind will either project into the future, it's imagining, and, and it's usually disaster as well. <laughs> Sometimes it'll imagine lovely, beautiful things going on holiday, maybe, whatever. But it's either in the often in the future, or it's going over something in the past. Oh, why didn't I do that? Why didn't they do that? Why did I say that? Why did they say that? I used to find my mind was very much more future-oriented, planning and sorting a lot. So how often is the mind actually just present? And that is huge when we can notice, be aware of what the mind is up to and and not, not with a sense of exasperation, although we can feel exasperated with the mind sometimes, but again, kindness is a huge thing here. They say there isn't mindfulness without kindfulness. It's just how we're wired, you know, minds do that. That's what minds do. So, so we're not going to stop it. But what we can do is when we notice and we're aware, we can go, actually, that thought's not helpful because the thoughts trigger emotions and create a lot of illness for us. So this is why the whole mindfulness and the whole mental health of understanding our minds and how they work. And, you know, just to keep it as simple as that is to notice what your mind is up to and to ask the question, is it helpful? Is it helpful? In fact, I learned that from Emma Slade. Um, who I'd recommend anybody listening read Emma's book set free find out who Emma is but I remember her teacher had said to her you know she would go to her teacher with all these you know a head full of things and woes and he would just say does it make you peaceful and what a great question because if you're on the thought and it doesn't make you peaceful well, well, well why bother engaging with it you know
1: you know or yeah yeah well, and also I mean it's exhausting. Mm, mm. <laughs> it's exhausting. It's exhausting to try exhausting. and think of every possible outcome, or to go over something that happened when you cannot change the past.
2: That's the key. So you can't change the past, and you know what? We have no idea what's coming in the future. We have no idea. You and I, okay, we're talking now, but actually, something might happen in the next few minutes, and. It, and we get cut off, or we think we're doing a podcast for another, well, however long. And actually, we have no idea the uncertainty and lack of control in the, in this life. We were talking earlier, weren't we? And it's something that I enjoy about life. I love variety. I love un- uncertainty. But most people don't. There's this kind of innate thing about humans that we want to be in control. We like to think we're in control. We like certainty. We, and, and if the pandemic has shown us Nothing else that life is totally unpredictable and uncertain, and it is moment by moment. The only thing that we know of is this moment right now. Right now, past is gone, we don't know what's coming next. You know, this is it, this is it, Susan.
1: This is (laughs) what a moment!
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's just moment by moment, And, and in that moment. How would it be to just be really open to the experience of it? Because this life is experiences, are pretty awesome, and you know they're not always comfortable. So this is the other thing we don't like discomfort. Yeah, it's like oh okay, Lisa. Yeah, I like this idea of just living life in the moment. But whoa, what happens when it's difficult? And that takes us back to before when I said about how do we deal with the suffering that comes up once we actually start to make some space and have some quiet in our life and just stillness yeah
1: so the stillness allows thoughts to surface resurface that emotions word and emotions particularly and then they create discomfort so we go oh no that's too hard i'm going back to the way it was i'll just
2: actually let me distract myself again let me just look at facebook or something oh that's that's yeah
1: or or reconcile the spreadsheet (laughs) absolutely yes nothing like
2: a good spreadsheet (laughs) to just take our minds off the woes of the world and immerse ourselves in numbers and things yeah yeah absolutely and and this is, I'd like to share, if that's all right with you, Susan, how, what my experience has been yeah. of then dealing with that. Because on the face of it, and, and, and actually physically, it doesn't feel easy at first. Because I think I certainly am a person who's not liked conflict in the past or so like to deal with difficult things. And what we label as a negative emotion is just an emotion. So things like sadness and grief and anger, loneliness, Whatever it may be, all those kind of emotions we tend to shy away from. It doesn't help when we have this keep a stiff upper lip and man up and all this crazy thing, you know, so not crying. Why have we got tear ducts? I know we've got them to laugh as well, but, you know, laughing, crying, similar thing, really. And so there's an invitation to be with what is difficult. And my personal experience has been that, yes, it feels difficult. and, And if you've got somebody to help you with that, And I've had some amazing people, Kathy May Else, who I mentioned earlier, whoa, and just has been a huge, important, caring, loving influence in my life, who helped me. And she was so patient, I can tell you, but helped me to be with what feels difficult. And the way to do it is not to work it out with the mind. So that's what we try and do. We go, well, why am I feeling like this? And I shouldn't be feeling like this. And blah, blah, blah. What? Helps is to go into the body. The body keeps a score. It's a great book by Bessel van der Kolk and explains some really great stuff in there. But this stuff is, as we talked earlier, is held in the body. So when there's something difficult and a difficult emotion, I invite people, and this is through my own experience, but now and working with others, invite people to feel into the body and to feel how does that emotion feel in the body. And often, usually in the torso area, yeah, quite often heart, solar plexus gut, you know, key parts where there are key energy centers there as well, actually, and key glands, yeah, and the heart itself, the solar plexus region and the nerves and stuff there. And to bring a sense of kind curiosity to the sensations, people can often describe a shape, I'll invite them, is there a shape there, is it moving, soft, hard, you can just really investigate and it's amazing what people come up I always remember one person I'm working with saying well I feel like I've got a donut growing in in my stomach and there's like nettles growing out of it you know (laughs) (laughs) just it's incredible how and, and if we can just really feel into the body sometimes some people struggle to feel if there's been some trauma we have to find ways of working but that sense of the body is hugely important as a way of of grounding, I'm just thinking then about the, the meeting you were talking about where we can be off in our head and not really present. And one way to be present is to come back to the body. So, in fact, people as you know yourself, and if people are listening, just bring your awareness to maybe feet on the floor or the bottom on the seat, or just have a sense of you, your body as you're listening and talking. And I feel myself right now, it's just more grounding. So this connection with the body is huge. It's so important. That's why yoga really helps as well. When I teach yoga, it's a very—I'd call it mindful movement. Now it's a moving meditation. It's about having that time. And often people can feel very emotional during a practice because again, there's this connection with the body. You're making space and time, and things start to bubble up and surface. So when they do, I would then invite people to stay with what feels difficult, but to feel it in the body, and. And I I get blown away so many times by how things shift for people and they have realizations and insights that, that come either immediately or maybe a few days later or maybe over time. And after working with people, showing and sharing the TRE practice, there's some amazing transformations in their life that they may not often attribute to the TRE because you, you, there's not always a direct link, but it's time after time i've seen the shifts in people so if we can learn to be with what is difficult again why aren't we taught this in earlier life to be with a discomfort because it's part of life it's here so why not be with it and if you be with it you're able to process it it will shift and you won't get the re- illness after yeah
1: uh, uh, there's such a great description lisa what you gave us there i think and. I think what comes up for me again is when you think about it's in your body or if you can imagine the shape or a color or nettles and donuts or whatever it might be, it's also then a realization that it's in me. There's, it's not outside of me. It's not the world that's after me. It's me. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And to do all of this work with such a tenderness, as if you were dealing with a young child or a baby or whatever, you know, if they came to you in distress, how would you be with them? You know, you don't just tell them to to go off and get themselves on Facebook or to, you know, pull themselves together or pull or pull yourself just man up, you know, sort of thing. And would take care of them. And as you become more kind of confident with dealing with difficulty then, then you know, I really valued the support I had from other teachers and people, but then you become more equipped to do it yourself. So when the emotions come now, you know, I had something the other morning and something cropped up and it was only... What, what I'm trying to think, I see. I can't even remember what triggered it, but because it was something or nothing, and I ended up I'm a bit, having a bit of frustration with with the bank at the moment. So anyway, we won't go into that. A lot of people
1: but, can relate, though. I'd say,
2: but but, but but actually, I'm talking to a guy on the telephone for about the third or fourth time, trying to sort out a security code, and I actually started to feel tearful. <laughs> I'm talking to, him, I thought, and one time I'd have just suppressed the tears like, you know, sort yourself out. And also there were people around me and I just thought, OK, something's coming up here. And I know it's not about getting a security code, there's something deeper. I took myself off into some space, a little private space, shut the door and just let the tears flowed and, and sat and tried. And I also was in, well, ooh, well, kind of what is this? Is there something deeper, you know, but you don't always have to know. And just to let the feelings up and out because they pass everything passes everything is impermanent everything you know including this body everything's changing all the time and the more we can become comfortable with with that i think sometimes when there's a difficult emotion we think it's going to last forever especially when there's tears especially when there's grief if you've lost someone or something at the moment there's a lot of grief about people have lost not maybe just loved ones Um, And we're losing loved ones all the time. But I think there's maybe people feeling loss of freedoms or a loss of a a way of life. Things are having to change.
1: And grief even for things that may not have happened that you were hoping would happen. You know, there's a kind of a loss that. that hasn't happened.
2: It hasn't panned out as you wanted it to. Yeah. How to be with all of that? Because the more we resist and fight it, actually, we put a lot of energy into that. And it just creates more pain and suffering for us.
1: Yeah. But there is (laughs) hope. There is hope. I think that's the wonderful thing about this conversation is that you are showing us that, yeah, get some help. Yes. Yes. But also you can master it and do this yourself. And what you said, actually, I think it was very powerful was let it flow let the tears flow let it come up or whatever and you don't have to know what's behind it no. You can just let it work itself out yeah and that's great because then you don't need to sit for hours talking to someone about it either or going on no. course in your head
2: yeah and, and and I'd like to just pick up on that point if I'm if I may Susan, because you know talking therapy as it might be called has a place for sure definitely has a place but if you speak to a lot of psychologists now they will say but it's not the only thing you have to incorporate the body there has to be the element of somatic healing as well you have to work with the body you, and if not we stay stuck in the heads and we can re-traumatize it's really important that there is more uh, awareness of the body and its it's amazing potential to heal the body is so intelligent I'd say it's probably way more intelligent than this this mind we have. But we just have to listen to it. We just have to be aware of it. We have to trust it. We have to trust that it knows what to do. In the TRE practice, when people are on the floor and their bodies are shaking, you have to trust and let go and just trust the body knows what it's doing. And, And it does. And it does. It does.
1: Brilliant. Oh my God, there's so much in this episode, Lisa. So, if somebody wanted to connect with you, how do they do that?
2: Okay, so I do have a website and it's shapingclarity.com. I have to admit right now, I feel that that website needs updating. But having said that, the contact details are on there. It will tell you about yoga. It will tell you about mindfulness and the TRE. At one time, I was running lots of courses and classes. I'm not doing that now. I tend to at the moment one-to-ones some groups if that transpires it's been I've been doing things over zoom would you believe you know still the tremoring can happen over zoom in 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 still you know great ways what is wonderful with zoom is that through the traveling and things I've been doing in, in the last 18 months, I've met a lot of people all over the world. And so now I do TRE sessions with people in India, Australia, the States, just anywhere, anywhere and everywhere. So that's another you know huge benefit of, of Zoom. But there is nothing like being in the same room with a person because there is something as well about well it's that you know connection with another human being and also with the tre work we can do what we call like interventions if it's appropriate like just gentle body touches to help waken up energies in certain parts of the body really and you know human touch is so important yeah as human beings it's yeah it kind of helps us thrive so
1: we did an episode on touch a number of episodes ago with steve haynes actually oh
2: well so yeah. steve was and in fact i did listen to that i, I trained with steve so okay. you know yeah. want to know more about tre as well tre college steve is a great trainer and he's yeah yeah wonderful so but yeah dot very i i tend to now just when people get in touch with me We'll have a chat and whatever and see if it's appropriate or if, if I feel that it's out of my remit, I can refer to other people within the TRE field um, or whatever it might, might be that people need. You know, Finally, for me, where I'm, I traveled to India last year and I came across a couple of teachers uh, who introduced me to what are called non-duality teachings. So from a meditation and, and mindfulness practice, a lot of pennies fell into place in Rishikesh in India last year with a couple of teachers who have led me on to other teachers of one. I've just found out one lady I'm listening to a lot. She only lives half an hour away. So I'm hoping next week to actually go and be able to sit with her. And the people, the teachers I work with these days, are what might be called awakened means they are present all the time. They are fully aware and awake. So my own particular practice now is to cultivate a greater sense of awareness more of the time so that we're really living this moment living this life experiencing all of it whether it feels wonderful or whether it feels pretty tough yeah because before we know it blink of an eye we ain't long on this life on this planet and that's where my own practice is going. And I like to help people become more aware. And, and the TRE practice, yoga, the, the meditate. I mean, life is a meditation. You know, this being aware and awake all the time is really what I believe we're here to realize. For me now, my primary purpose in life, if, if we have to have any meaning or anything, often people say, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Not many people say, I want to wake up. I want to live my life fully awake and aware yeah and to be able to bring that into a workplace wow
1: wow yeah wow it's almost frightening (laughs) in what way what do you mean susan it's just like it's so hard to imagine always being in the here and now in this moment because you know you're not it's not to say that you you can't be because you know i feel for this conversation we've been here Yes. But I also know I'm thinking of another question at times and I'm conscious of stuff around me, but the thought of just being fully present.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of,
2: whoa. And, and I think there are degrees of that from what I, I see with teachers and from what I hear from teachers, because we also have to function in this life. For example, there's a teacher called Eckhart Tolle. He, he probably would be quite happy, sapped. Walk, or, or walking through the woods just with that sense of presence. That, you know, would appeal to him. But then the other people in the world are able to be very present and aware a lot of the time, if not most of the time, but still also function and run businesses and run a household. The One of my teachers, the teacher that lives locally, she's a mother of four. And she, through various teachers and practices herself, she her awareness grew and grew until, you know, again, she's another fully, what we might call an awakened and aware being. The thing is, when we are more present, things, I think, you know, as you said, you can be be like, how do you function? But actually, what we do, how we do it, what we say, how we say it comes from a different place. It comes from a more loving place. It's a kinder, more caring place as opposed to maybe the mind and the ego that's actually out for itself
1: more intentional with intuition and the yes. options are fewer because a lot of the other stuff has been dismissed beautiful
2: susan that word intuition and again intuition as youngsters or whatever that's not encouraged no you, you use the head's it got to be logical scientific whatever ah no intuition wow
1: we'll have to talk again lisa i'd love
2: to i've really really enjoyed our conversation
1: thank you so much for inviting you oh thank you this was brilliant and i hope everybody is still with us (laughs) if you're listening because (laughs) i think we've we've really gotten into this here together today so thank you so much for your time lisa and i'll leave contact details and everything in the show notes great and i'm always very happy to talk about any of this with anybody if anybody wants you know conversation even if they you know don't want
2: tre or whatever always happy to talk about yeah yeah anything spoken about today so thank
0: you Thank you. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would enjoy it too. I believe we are all entitled to enjoy our work and the future of work life will be changed by those who put people first and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and organisations. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to have covered, guests you'd like to hear from, or questions for me, please drop a line to Susan at beyond-thenumbers.com. And finally, please consider leaving a review.